Today on Ag News Daily. Empowerment. We want women to take charge, not a title, but take charge. The loan program, it can be done at all the states. That's a federally induced program or managed program. States have just chosen not to do it. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Delaney Howell, and I'm one of the hosts for the Ag News Daily podcast. Along with my co-host, Mike Pearson, we are live today from the Iowa Women's Landowner Conference in Brooklyn, Iowa. That's right. No sleep till Brooklyn, indeed. <laughs> little Beastie Boys reference out there. Um, that dates you a little, Mike. No, Beastie Boys are timeless. Uh-huh. So we're here. We've heard from a number of great presenters this morning on issues that relate, well, to everybody in agriculture. The focus today is on women landowners, but of course we can all benefit from estate planning. We can all benefit from tax credits mm-hmm. and uh, you know low interest loan programs. And that's what this conference is doing. So we're here today, we're talking to some of the panelists, we're talking to some of the speakers and uh, some of the founders. So we'll bring that all to you here in just a little bit. In the meantime, Delaney, has there been any news in the world of agriculture? Well, we've been at the conference all morning, so it's been a little limited on our time to gather news for today, but I do have some updates that I wanna bring our listeners from stories we've reported on over the past week. On Tuesday, the Canadian Minister of Agriculture and the Mexican Secretary of Agriculture traveled to Canada, oh, excuse me, traveled to Georgia with Secretary Sonny Perdue to discuss NAFTA. And there is a statement that Secretary Perdue released, I believe, yesterday. So just talking about how, how the three nations are connected geographically, so it makes sense to modernize NAFTA and that NAFTA can greatly help the agriculture sectors in all three countries. And so I will be sure to post this statement. I don't wanna take the time to read it to you all, but it is worth looking at. So I will post a link to that on our website, agnewsdaily.com, if you wanna check it out for yourself. All right, yeah, be sure to check that out. Read into that. These are what our uh, policymakers are doing. And, you know, I found an interesting story. So in the US, One of the things that uh, I've had conversations with, I guess particularly folks in Wisconsin, but it's probably applicable in other places, the domestic, the U.S. demand for veal continues to drop. In fact, uh, one of these red meat production reports here, probably end of the winter, showed that veal production was at its lowest level on record here in this country. We don't think about veal much. Animal rights advocates have been very, very good at painting veal as a, a a meat built on cruelty and so forth, but that's not true everywhere. And uh, there's a fascinating report in Reuters today about how Argentina's taste for veal is so strong that Argentinians really aren't raising the fat cattle they need to raise to maintain their position as one of the leading beef exporters. As we enter this period where the U.S. is going to be selling more beef to China, we're trying to grow our uh, export business in the world of beef, I thought this was pretty good news. Let the Argentinians eat all the veal they want and leave that delicious export market to U.S. producers. And uh, so if you've got time, be sure to check out this report. We will post it on the website. But uh, basically more than 65% of bulls sent to slaughter in Argentina are young and light. So I thought that was fascinating. Young and light? Young and light. The average weight of a slaughtered animal in Argentina 
Four hundred and ninety-eight pounds.、Hmm. In the U.S., our average weight is seven hundred ninety-four pounds. Seven hundred ninety-four pounds. That's right. When it comes to where's the beef, it's here <laughs> in the U.S. All right. Is that all that you had for that, Mike? I did. I just thought it was interesting yeah, for、uh, for veal folks. We'll post this article. Be sure to check it out. So, also reported on yesterday, President Trump was touring Kirkwood Community College in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Which is the largest junior college agriculture program in the United States, and he gave a speech at the event there in there in Cedar Rapids, and I'm going to post a little bit of his remarks, but you can also find his full speech on the White House Office of the Press Secretary if you're interested in reading it, or I'm sure、uh, if you Googled it up, there will be tons of people that have the speech for you to watch, but. You know, it's interesting to me because I thought his his main point of the speech was to talk agriculture, but he first has to go through congratulating the new governor of Iowa and talking about our trade secretary and our new secretary of agriculture, and he finally, towards the end of his speech, finally gets to touch on some agriculture pieces. And I thought this was interesting. He said, "Farming, which is something that is very beautiful to me, I'm not a farmer, but I'd sure be happy to be one." Which you know, that's funny. Well, you know, I mean, Trump knows、uh, knows bankruptcy. Yeah. You know, he he might fit into the cattle feeding world. Hey, you never know. <laughs> yeah, he's a businessman. <laughs> yeah.、Um, but anyways, he just goes on to touch about what he hopes to accomplish during his presidency. He wants to get rid of the death tax so that farms can be passed on. He wants to eliminate intrusive rules that undermine the ability to earn a living. And he also touched on ethanol and biofuels. He want that's you know、uh, that was a big part of his campaign platform is to promote those. He also touched on Secretary or excuse me Ambassador Terry Branstad going to China. He's really excited about that, obviously. And he even threw in a little joke at him saying、um, that Governor or that well former Governor Branstad always told him to keep his mouth shut, and so you know it worked out now. And、uh, just. The Wait, end. What? He kind of gave him a little. Governor Branson was always jabbing him about quit being so vocal on social media. Oh, so he、gotcha. kind of threw it back at him that night during、okay. the speech. And then he also touched briefly on the infrastructure proposal, which is a one trillion dollar proposal. And a really big part of that is to promote and foster enhanced broadband access for rural America. There we so, go. Yeah, we talked about that a couple days yeah, ago. Yeah, and I think. If I remember correctly, he did the speech in Cedar Rapids at a U.S. Cellular branch, or maybe he did another additional speech. So,、hmm. yeah, he really is ready to rebuild rural America, is what he said.、So. And you know, his、uh, his commitment to rolling back obtrusive rules and regulations that was highlighted today. In fact,、uh, with news from the EPA,、mm-hmm. so a lot of us remember the explosion at the chemical plant in West. Texas、uh, that happened in 2013 killed 15 people.、Yeah. That caused the EPA to look at exactly how these、uh, chemical plants and, in some cases, distributors were regulated. And the EPA had, in December, rolled out a new chemical safety rule. And、uh, businesses, and I know some、uh, co-ops and elevators, have fought back against this rule. And、uh, basically saying it's too stringent, and the cost to comply would be much too high for a lot of smaller, single location,、uh, you know, family-run sort of chemical companies. 
And today, the EPA announced it is delaying that rule for two years while it completes a review. Mm -hmm. And given President Trump and EPA Director Scott Pruitt's commitment to rolling back these kind of rules, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe this is the end of that rule as written. Yeah, that's, that's a good speculation, Mike. In other news, NAFTA is just flooding my news today. Um, former Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack, who is now the U.S. Dairy Export Council President and CEO, spoke on a Canadian television program, I believe yesterday, to talk about NAFTA and specifically that they needed to modernize and open trade with Mexico and end protectionist actions by Canada in regards to the dairy industry. So. Vilsack has been an advocate for the dairy industry since he stepped down as Secretary of Agriculture and he continues to be very vocal about NAFTA and the renegotiation of that. He also said that um, Canada's national pricing policy effectively blocks some of the American dairy exports such as the ultra-filtered milk which we've talked about previously on the podcast and there's only a limited market access granted under NAFTA. So he said, we want to make sure that the markets closest to home are free and fair and open and to be the best they can be. That's so. right. Be the best they can be. That is the way we like to have trade. And we had another piece of news come out yesterday. And I saw this uh, first tweeted out in, uh, I, I guess for lack of a better word, better word cattle Twitter was talking <laughs> about this yesterday. A trading firm, McVean Trading and Investments, has uh, been fined more than $5 million by the CFTC, that's the uh, Commodity Futures Trading Commission, which oversees all those actions in the futures markets, because they alleged that uh, McVean was using feed yards to basically get around limits on spot month contracts. And it says, it, this was an article reported by Chris Clayton, our buddy over at DTN. He said at one point, uh, McVean executives held as much as 43% of the open interest in the February 2013 live cattle contract. When we think about that, for those folks that don't trade, the open interest is the amount of contracts that are available. So this one company or its executives owned half of all the cattle contracts that were traded that month. And uh, that creates a false impression that there was bigger interest and participation than actually existed. So it's fascinating five, find $5 million, but they did not admit guilt. I think that was just the company's two senior leaders that were fined the $5 million too. I don't think it was the entire company. Okay, so just the two executives from McVean. Uh -huh. So two people owned 50% of February 2013 live cattle contracts. That is... In the world? On the futures market. That's, that's, I can't even fathom that. That's a lot of dollars. Yeah. Well, what other news do we have, Delaney? Well, just really quick before we jump into the markets, we've been watching the milk contracts now since um, the Canadian Wisconsin dairy issue arose. In July 2017, milk futures have dramatically slid since the beginning of June. The market has now lost a dollar forty per hundred weight in just three weeks. So Yeah, that has been on a very, very steady decline yeah, as milk has been producers worldwide continue yeah. to get better and better at coaxing mm -hmm. more of that delicious nectar from their cows. Yeah, and as we have a large overabundance of milk now in the United States and Canada both. So. Exactly. Well let's take a look at the markets, Delaney Howell. Okay, another day with a lot of red on the screen. In fact, perhaps ironically, uh, based on what we just read, the only market that I look at regularly that is up today is milk. 
All right. Well, let's get this over with by starting with corn. July 2017 corn dropped six cents to close at 362 and three quarters. December new crop corn also down six, closed at 380 and three quarters. In beans, old crop beans, the July contract dropped 14 and three quarter cents, closed at 904 even. November beans down 14 and a half, closed at 913 and a quarter. In wheat, really the rock star of the markets over the past two weeks. July Chicago wheat down three and a quarter, finished at 461 and a quarter. December wheat dropped four and a half cents to close the day at 497 and a half. And the bad news is not done when we look outside the grain markets. Looking into meat, the August live cattle contract dropped $1.07 and a half to close at 114.27 and a half. October live cattle down $1.02 and a half, finished at 112 even. As we jump into feeder cattle, August feeder cattle dropped $1.20, closed at 143.45 even. September feeders down 107.5, finished the day at 142.97 and a half. In lean hogs, the July contract down a dollar and a nickel, closed at 85.02 and a half. The August contract down $2.35, closed at 79.87 and a half. And as I mentioned, the lone bright spot. Class three milk up three cents to close at fifteen ninety-four. Now, Delaney, what do you say we learn a little bit more about the Women Landowners Conference? Let's do it. Who should we talk to first? I think we should talk to Jenny Ness. Sounds like a plan. Okay, folks, we are here with Jenny Ness. And Jenny, what is your title here with the Iowa County Women Land and Legacy Program? I am a part of the local team. A part of the local team, and what is the Women, Land, and Legacy program? Uh, Women, Land, and Legacy is an outreach effort between uh, the USDA um, extension and then local women with ties to agriculture within Iowa County or any county, because Women, Land, and Legacy can be found in, I think, like 30-some counties in Iowa. Is it in other states? No. This was started in Iowa, and other states have approached similar concepts, but this is an mm -hmm. Iowa program. So this conference that we're at today, what is the goal for it, or how long, and how long have you been hosting the conference? Yep, um, this is our fifth year, we're pretty excited, and we had just started as an Iowa County Women, Land, and Legacy Outreach Group, and Vince Johnson with Iowa Land Sales approached us and said, hey, our goals align, we'd like to put a conference together that targets women landowners and estate planning, and we wanna partner with you. And our group was really excited and said, absolutely, but we wanna help call the shots. And he was very accommodating. Um, women prefer certain things. They uh, like to center things around food, mm -hmm. round tables. You asked me what my title was. Women don't like titles in a big group. So I'm a part of the team, but I'm not the head of the team. Okay. okay. See, and this is all educational. And I remember the very first year, uh, door prizes were awarded, and a lot of those door prizes were hats. Yes. What was the feedback? It was not positive. <laughs> so <laughs> women don't like seed corn hats, and, and we realized that. We, we didn't target the right audience. It was our first conference. Yeah. We've we gotten better. I think this is our best one yet. Yes. Yep. Yeah, and you have Margie here, which who represents FarmHerd, so that really embraces what the Land Owners Conference is all about, doesn't it? It does. Uh, her goals align with ours very similarly, um, empowerment. We want women to take charge, not a title, but take charge. Mm -hmm. We're all about communication and legacy and family and moving our legacy through our family and our children, and women have more influence than they give themselves credit for. 
And so we target women because estate planning will get done if the women take the lead. That's the truth. Yeah. I, I know, uh, speaking as a, as a man, yes. my wife and I have been having the we need to plan our estate thing, and it just flies right out of my head. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things that has to happen mm -hmm. for any operation to survive any period of transition. Correct. It's vital. Now, one of the things you talked about was that Women Land and Legacy, as a group, you put on different groups. There are different events, this being just one of them. Yes. What type of things do you talk about? I mean, what's the point of a women-only group? Yep. Um, we don't, we're not women-only, but we target what women identified as needs. Mm -hmm. So when this group started, we had listening sessions. And we invited uh, probably 2,000 women in Iowa wow. County and said, come join us and tell us, what did you wish that you had for educational topics? What do you like or not like about um, the coffee shop talk or the conferences your husband attends or when you do things? And so all of the topics we target and the specialists that we bring in and the presenters um, are what they've identified as learning needs. And so we try to update that with every session. We do feedback um, evaluations. What other topics do you want to learn about? We try to keep it relevant because every year hot topics approach and so we adjust and we'll try and find a, a presenter or a topic that's relevant for information right now. So besides the landowners conference, what other conferences or events or topics have you covered? Yep, um, earlier in February this year we did a crop insurance and we, we had a crop insurance seminar, better understanding policies and what's available, how to make more informed decisions and help um, bring more revenue onto the farm. Mm -hmm. Uh, we also did a farm crawl, which featured local businesses in Iowa County um, that are either women co-owned, women managed, or operated, and we, it was our first ever. It was really hot. It was 100 <laughs> plus <laughs> degrees, but it was, it was a success. Um, we'll do better with our next one, right? So the goal really is to prepare women for, you know, something happens and they have to take over the farm. Is that really the goal of what you guys are trying to accomplish? That's one of them, yep. Okay. Communication, I would say, is number one education and communication. Fantastic, Jenny. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. And if everybody, get out there. Where can they find out information on Women, Land, and Legacy? Facebook, Facebook. or the internet. Just Google, Google Women, it. Land, and Legacy. You bet. Again, a big thank you to Jenny. And, you know, I thought it was really interesting. She made some good points about that they've been moving towards making these conferences and resources available specifically for women. Yeah, you know, uh, women make up a larger and larger share of agriculture. Margie talked, uh, Margie Geiler, Alanis, excuse me, Margie, from uh, Farmhurst spoke at the event this morning, and she mentioned just shy of a million women are currently involved mm -hmm. as producers, either as primary or secondary, in American ag. And uh, so tailoring events to meet women's needs makes a lot of sense. Because mm -hmm. for so long, it's been seed corn caps and coffee. As a woman, it empowers me kind of to go to things like this too. I love it. I bet. I think that's part of the reason they're here. Now, part of the other reason they're here is to learn about what's out there. And uh, I think we ought to talk, if you're up for it, talk to Steve Ferguson and hear what's coming out in the state of Iowa as we look at uh, tax credits and those kind of things. Sounds like a plan. We are here now with Steve Ferguson, who is the Agriculture Program Specialist for the Iowa Finance Authority, and we are here at the Women's Iowa Land Conference. Steve, tell us a little bit about what you do for the Iowa Finance Authority. Well, today we go out and do a lot of marketing, trying to raise the awareness of our four, four programs. We have two loan programs and two tax credit programs, and so we're trying to help beginning farmers 
Uh, the, one of them is to get lower interest rates. Another one's helping come up with down payment. And the other two are tax credit programs to encourage an asset owner to either rent their ag asset to a beginning farmer or hire the beginning farmer to do some custom work. Now, Steve, a lot of our listeners are in Iowa, and a lot of them are outside of Iowa. How many of the programs that are available to Iowans are available to other folks? Well, from the beginning farmer perspective, they have to be a resident of Iowa. Now, from the asset owner perspective, they can sell a farm to a beginning farmer on contract. Doesn't have to be a resident, but the farm has to be in Iowa. The tax credit program, if they're going to do some custom work, the farm has to be in Iowa. But if they are going to rent the farm out to a beginning farmer, the farm has to be in Iowa, but the asset owner can live outside the state. Okay. And I, I asked you, or I touched on this earlier when we spoke, but how come or why isn't there a nationwide program for a beginning farmer's loan or tax credit programs? Well, the loan program, it can be done at all the states. That's a federally induced program or managed program. States have just chosen not to do it. You know, we're blessed with Iowa with our programs we have here and a lot of great farm ground and this sort of thing. And so there are 17 states that have it, and we are a member of that organization, and we're constantly trying to add on more states. Mm -hmm. uh, just the other factors, economically or whatever factors in their state, they are just choosing not to. Now, Steve, a lot of our listeners are probably familiar with the FSA programs. There's a lot of those for beginning farmers and, and loans as well. What, what are the differences between Iowa Finance Authority programs and FSA programs for beginning farmers? Well, the FSA program is a USDA federal government program. Our programs are administered and approved by their enhanced or by the Iowa legislature. And so <clears throat> that's the major difference. But as far as uh, accessibility or... What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, who qualifies? Eligibility-wise. Eligibility, thank yep. you. Yep. For the USDA program, they have a program the beginning farmer has to been farming at least three years and no more than 10, and especially in a management role. We do not require that. Uh, ours is tied to their net worth. Uh, and this year, they have to have a net worth less than 645000 Less so if, if, however long I've been in agriculture, as long as my net worth is under $645,000, I qualify as a beginning farmer for these programs. Yep. So I've got another $745,000 to go before my net worth hits that target. All right. Now that amount changes every year. We don't determine that. Uh, <clears throat> so whatever the amount we find out about that in December, we post that on our website. So a lot of farmers are, we hear often this statistic that so many farmers are 65 years and older. Is that one of the main reasons that you've started this farmer tax credit program to try and get younger farmers into farming? Or, I mean, what's the motivation behind that? Well, I'd have to give the credit to our legislators because they're the ones that you know, approved the program. And I think a lot of them are farmers and they're probably seeing the challenge with transition on the farm. And so they were just seeing a lot of probably scenarios where the beginning farmer was getting squeezed out, couldn't compete with high cash rents mm -hmm. or different scenarios. And so they have set up that program to help make a little more of a competitive playing field, if you will. So the beginning farmer can, and we get that feedback a lot, that uh, especially on our beginning farmers, they'll send us letters that it's really helped them to be able to compete. 
you know, on a more of a level playing field. Now, one of the big things with any of these programs is, of course, there are a lot of a lot of rules, a lot of hoops to jump through. There's a lot of things you need to consider. Where can folks go to learn more to see if maybe they qualify or if their landowner might qualify? Or if I'm a landowner, yep. how can I take advantage of some of these tax credits? Well, the presentation I just did, it's out on our website, and anybody can go to the website. It's iowafinanceauthority.gov, and they circle on down. If they need some help, find it. Be glad to give me a call or Tammy. Tammy. Nabola is the other person we have on our staff. But that PowerPoint presentation is on there on describing all four of our programs. Perfect, Steve. Well, hey, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Glad to do it. That's uh, what we're here for, raise awareness. Again, a big thank you to Steve. He had some poison ivy, so I went and washed my hands as soon as we were done talking with him. Yeah, Steve, uh, good guy, <laughs> but uh, didn't want to shake hands with him today, no, that's for sure. Definitely but uh, those are the challenges that come when you're out working on the farm. Yeah, and um, just really quick before we wrap up today's episode, I also briefly talked to Carly Cummings. She is the events and merchandise manager for Farm Her, and we're just going to continue this women's empowerment because next week we will be at the Farm Her, the first annual Farm Her conference. So let's kick it off to Carly. I am here with Carly Cummings at the Iowa Women's Land Conference, and she is the events and merchandise manager for Farmher. Carly, next week you guys have the first ever conference that's being hosted by Farmher. Why don't you tell us just a little bit about the conference and what our listeners can expect to maybe hear from? Sure, sure. So we're really excited to have our first or our inaugural um, all-ages women event. We have a lot of events for young women in agriculture and we had a lot of women ask for an event for them as well and content that um, suited their needs. So we're excited to have the first one next week. It'll be a two and a half day conference and um, listeners can expect to hear from women from all around the country. We have 20 states represented um, and also from a few speakers at the event as well. So 20 states and how many attendees will there be? We'll have 155 attendees. So we're completely sold out and have a wait list. So hopefully um, if, if your listeners aren't in on it this year, they can next year. Um, you guys are also launching your own podcast next week, isn't that right? Yeah, that is correct. So we are going to start and try it out and see how it goes. Um, we have a few of the ladies that have been on our TV show. They will come in and help us do a podcast um, while um, getting questions from our audience. Perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Wow, thank you, Carly. That sounds like that's going to be very, very exciting, and we're going to be there which day is Delaney? Well, I'm deciding if I want to go Monday night, but for sure we'll be there Tuesday and Wednesday. Both days of the conference? Yes. That sounds perfect. So folks, be sure to tune in. We will bring all of the the news and reports and everything from the FarmHer conference next week. And it will be very, very exciting. In the meantime, Delaney, we still have a podcast to put together for tomorrow. I know. So we should do something about that. We should. We should. We should find somebody to interview. <laughs> hey, if you're interested in talking to us, give us a call. Shoot us a message on Facebook and or Twitter. And, of course, look us up on our website at agnewsdaily.com. With all of that being said, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.